it. Welcome to Strata Stories. My name is Thomas Schreiber, and I'm the Director of Marketing here at Strata. Strata is a full-service EMR for physical therapy and occupational therapy practices that helps you achieve a 99.99% reimbursement rate. On today's episode, Paul Singh, the CEO of Strata, talks with Jamie Schreier, the founder of Practice Freedom U. Jamie helps practice owners build a more profitable clinic while working less. Paul and Jamie talk through how to grow your clinic with the right mindset, why you shouldn't be afraid to talk about money and your goals for making money, plus how to stay ahead of technology and make sure it doesn't put you out of business. If you'd like to learn more about Strata, head over to stratapt.com or email us at hello at stratapt.com. Now, without further delay, here's today's episode. One of the things we talked about was sort of what you called the stage one of a business or the earliest part of a business. And you were talking about one of the biggest mistakes that practice owners make when they're starting out. It rings a bell. I I live and breathe this stuff, Paul. I'm sure like you do and like Thomas, I live and breathe this stuff. I mean, it's, it isn't something you're just kind of creating in the moment. (laughs) You're not, yeah. Something that I talk about every day. I live every day. So there's lots of different ways to describe the levels of business or the stages of a business. And I think that when you get perspective around the different stages, it helps you get more clarity and focus. And I think we're all fighting focus. We're all fighting ADD and attention deficit disorder and ADHD and all this other stuff. And we all realize that our attention spans are, uh, there's actually a proof of how they did this, but our attention spans are now lower than a goldfish. Goldfish is like, you know, nine seconds or something. And ours is like eight seconds or seven seconds. And we all realize when someone clicks on a website, you have about four seconds to, you know, make some impact for them to stay on that website and and all these other things that we know that we're trying to stop people. But as business owners, you know, it's the same thing. We have so many things that are coming out of so many things that we could focus on and whatever we focus on is going to have an impact. Now, if you focus on the wrong things, you'll have better wrong things. If you focus on the right things, you'll have better right things. So when you're looking at a business kind of in its infancy stage, um, I kind of simplify this. You know, you look at a business that's in that stage one. The business has started, starting to run, it's starting to operate. It's typically a one-horse show, a solopreneur sometimes it's called. And that business, the biggest focus of that stage one business anywhere from just starting out to about $400,000 in revenue, it's generating clients. There's nothing more important. And the problem is we spend so much time getting ready to get ready. Okay, I'm just getting ready. I'm getting all my ducks in a row. All right, I created the LLC, and now I'm putting together my programs, and I'm doing... You know what? Get someone in the door, and why don't you practice on them? Right. One of my favorite uh, lines and, and of course, all my stuff, I think I lifted from somebody else because there's really nothing new out there. Um, But one of my lines is always get paid for R&D and everything is R&D. So when we talk about R&D, research and development, we're talking about, like you said before, trying stuff, practicing stuff, you know, testing things. I mean, marketing is all about testing It's not about getting it right. It's just about trying something and learning from it. Well, that's what we do as practice owners. We try things and we learn from it. So in business, you could either get ready to focus on working with a client or how to bring a client in, or you can actually just get a client and then just test things on them. You know, one of my mentors, Dan Sullivan, uh, once, once shared with me, he goes, Jamie, the greatest people to practice on are check writers. People that are actually investing money in you, practice on them. So in a stage one business, you don't have to have things perfect. Get five people in the door, get 10 people in the door and start working with them and learning how to do this, learning your flow, how things work, you know, learning, you know, what they're willing to pay for, what they're not willing to pay for, learning the whole insurance business. If you're in an insurance game, but do it with real people. Get paid to actually figure it out versus spending all this time and energy getting ready to do it. 
preparing to do it. I think a lot of that comes with school. A lot of that comes with our perfectionist nature. A lot of that comes with us feeling like I don't want to be wrong. I'm used to being right. I got good grades, which means I was right a lot. And in business, it's not about that. So get paid for R&D. And that stage one business, it's get people in the door, start generating revenue, and then start figuring out some things and grow your business. Then we can get to that next stage. You know, it's so interesting that the way you describe this is very similar to how we talk about this in the tech world. But in the past, if I've talked about a similar concept in the, in the healthcare world, I'm sort of like looked at like the crazy person. So, you know, as an example, what we say in the investor world and in the, in the tech world is, is that there's two stages to any company. Will it work? And how big can it be? And too many people spend all their time thinking about the second question. You know, they write business plans and all these things on how big it could be that they never even consider the idea that they should have actually worked on the first thing. Will it work? Can you get one person you don't know to walk through the door, pull their wallet out and do something? So it's just it's interesting how similar it is to the tech world uh, as well. Well, there's nothing new because business is business. Every single business in the world is designed to do one thing, obviously make money if they're a for-profit business, but they're ultimately designed to do one thing, and that is solve a problem. We all solve a problem. So we all have an audience in which a problem that they have that we solve that then they, more or less, pay for. You know, we're not trading goats anymore. We're not trading that. We're trading money, which we're not even trading money. We're just trading numbers and accounts back and forth, right? So the idea is it's proof of concept. What is the audience? Who is the audience you're, you're trying to serve? What is the problem they have? What is the solution that you have? And let's get someone in there to test it out. And if they're willing to write a check for that, you have something. If they're not, well, you might want to figure some things out first. So it doesn't matter if you're testing out a piece of technology or software or an app or patient care or maybe a new way of doing things. It doesn't really matter. I had a client just the other day I was talking to, and you know he's a, he's a physical therapist and, and doing pretty well, and he wanted to establish a new program. And of course, as we all do, he goes, I want to do this whole performance program and we can work with baseball players and football players and basketball and all these sports and soccer. We could do men, women. We And I went, whoa, 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 time out, time out, time out. All right. Let's start with one, one focus. I said, who do you think you can work with better than anybody? He goes, I'm passionate about baseball. I go, good. Now, what is the thing that you are going to help them solve so they can achieve this thing? He goes, we have this new program that we can do it. I said, good. Let's not focus too much on the program right now. Let's focus on getting in front of the people who have influence over that audience of that 14 to 18-year-old kid. And he said, okay, I just got a text. And I mean, I could read the text. I just got a text saying, Jamie, we got four people already. I said, perfect. I go, are they paying for it? Well, not really. I go, good. The next person you hire, have them write a check for something. I don't care if it's the full price, half price, but if they don't write a check, the value will be perceived differently. All right? And he said, got it. I'll have a couple people in here in the next week. Paul, that's what's about dialing in your focus to this thing to then you can take action and get a result versus your focus becomes so many different things and you never get enough momentum. Yeah. There's a book called So Good They Can't Ignore You or Be So Good They Can't Ignore You that sort of hits on topics like this. It's one of my favorite books, but it's, it sort of talks about this, like get so good at that one thing. You don't, you're not trying to be the IBM, you know, go global conglomerate on day one. The goal is to like pick that one customer, that one niche, that one vertical, and you just go deep. And that's the power of I think entrepreneurship and modern day technology as well is that you just don't need 50,000 clients unless you really want to, you know? And I think, you know, one of the other things that we talked about a lot, you know, I still kind of chuckle about our conversation because we had originally, that last time we caught up, it was like 30 minutes scheduled, but two and a half hours later, we're like, wait, 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 we got to go, man. We kind of talked about a whole lot of stuff. But one of the other things related to what you just talked about was sort of this interesting point about you know, money, talking about money is taboo. It's like everybody thinks about it. Nobody wants to talk about it. To me, it feels like it's even more amplified 
in this industry? It's huge in the medical industry in general, especially in the lesser, I don't want to say lesser, but kind of knocking my own profession, but in the allied health industries, you don't see too many orthopedic surgeons that really have a problem with money, right? You know, they're showing, they're, you know, living in the right neighborhoods, drive the cars and all that kind of stuff. But when you're talking about people like physical therapists, mental health, pediatrics, people in that world, they want to do good. They want to help others. And because many of us are growing up with influences, especially in our formative years, around perspectives around money that aren't true and aren't false. It's just a perspective that doesn't serve us. Money's the root of all evil, right? That's a nice little saying that it's an excerpt. It's not really the entire old phrase was, right? Money can bring out people's true intentions. People have a lot of money. You'll see what kind of character they have. Are they still trying to impress you with the cars and tell you about shit that you don't care, right? But money doesn't do that. That's just who they are. It's just, as you said, amplifying that. So we have a lot of money problems as practice owners, as healthcare providers, and we have to address it. That's probably one of the things that we do the most at Practice Freedom U is we get you over your stuff that's preventing you from achieving this amazing life and helping so many more people. Because these blocks that you have, especially around money, you will sabotage your business. I did this. I sabotaged my business. So I started to make money and I started to look in the mirror and I said, you're not the person that is supposed to make all this money. You're just trying to do good work. And I wasn't even realizing I was creating kind of a divide between money and being good and realizing it's no, it can be the same. You can be good and rewarded for your work, which shows up as money. And then you can use that money to support your family. And I think that's something that people need help with. And so many of our clients tell us, God, I've learned so much about some of these issues that I had. I didn't even realize I had these issues that was affecting me growing my business or hiring great people or building a great team or whatever. That's a huge one that if we can just lean into some of those money blocks and those obstacles, you know, we could do so much better work and help more people. I couldn't agree with, with you more. And I like to call those invisible scripts. Nobody ever told you these things, but you believe them in your head. You tell these stories about yourself that, that you believe. And I think that um, the way I kind of talk about this is I have this concept that I sort of probably stole from somebody else or made up. I have no idea. Like you said, we're all, you know, whatever. But I have this concept uh, that I call FU money. And I used to think that FU money was, I don't know, some arbitrarily large number. Pick a number, million, billion, whatever. I just thought it was like something big because that invisible script's in your head. If you hit that number, that's FU. You can say FU to everybody. And actually, the older and older I get, I realize that FU money is really just your monthly expenses. So like if you're going to start this business or if you're going to do whatever you want to do or whatever, the minute you can get that business off the ground to that point where you are now default alive, meaning that business can support you, you've reached FU money because now you get to pick what you want to do. And it takes some grind to get to that first level. Well, you know, whether it's, you know, you got a $3,000 mortgage or a, whatever it is, like you just got to get to that point. But this topic, I just wish more people talked about because a lot of people also think about money in terms of scarcity. If I win, you lose, you win, I lose. It's sort of so scarce and that's not how it works. You just sort of alluded to sort of these, I think the word you used was like blocks, these sort of like mental blocks. You know, obviously one way these clinic owners can kind of get over a mental block is to come work with somebody like you and, and kind of like have these hard conversations. These are emotionally draining conversations, I think, because it's hard to look in the mirror. But how do you do that? Is it talking to them? Is it about calling it out? Like what, I guess my question is, is that let's say a practice owner is out there and for whatever reason, like you're booked up and they can't, you know, they just, there's not enough time in the day to get Jamie's time. Is there, is there stuff that practice owners should be doing or reading or, or looking at to get over some of those mental blocks? One of my core values in my business, Practice Freedom You, and in my life that I live by, to me, value is a belief. It's a belief system that you have, is lifelong learning. And lifelong learning is a value I think all of us should have. And lifelong learning, the reason it's lifelong and not 
well, school long, is because we're always growing. We're always looking to get better, at least the people that I want to associate with. And sometimes people think they arrived. One of my favorite quotes is the enemy of thriving is arriving. Like somehow you have arrived there because when you arrive, you stop going, you stop moving. And we all have biases. We all have perspectives, right, wrong. I don't know, but they're perspectives that came from formative years. They came from influences. They came from watching people and all that. And many of those perspectives don't serve you, don't help you move forward into what you want to do and to have the things that you want. And when people come to us and what they're looking for is more control, you know, control is freedom, choice is freedom. So whether it's more money, I want to make more money. I don't want to work so many darn hours in the clinic. I want to be less stressed. I want to, you know, build a better team or, or whatever it is that you want to do, impact more people and, and all that. You know, those things will affect how you think, right? We have something called a power formula. Power formula is how you think, how you handle emotions, determine the actions you take and determine the results that you get. So there, there's an old saying that says leaders are readers. You know, if you're not looking at reading, you don't have to sit there and brag. You can't stand people. Look at me. Look at the 10 books I read in the last month. Last year, I stopped reading books for six months. Six months I stopped reading because it was becoming too much because I'm the person that when I read, I annotate in the thing. Like I absorb the information and I try to implement it because I want to experience what the author is, is trying to tell me. And sometimes I become too overwhelmed with that. I need to actually put in place the stuff and I don't need any more information. I think we have way too much information. However, there's a lot of people not reading really at all. And they're not reading things that are helping them move forward with something. There's so so many great books out there and there's so many different ways to absorb it, reading or listening or whatever the case is. But I think that, yeah, you don't necessarily need us to continue to improve and grow. But so many times we're just so busy, 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 busy. You and I live in the DMV, right? D.C., Maryland, Virginia area. Busyness is like a badge of honor. How busy are you? I'm busy. You know, I like to mess with people, you know, and they say, how Jamie, God, you must be busy. I go, no. Anytime someone wants to schedule with me, I go, you know what? You tell me what you need because I probably have more time on my schedule than you do. And I'm able to move things around easier. And I don't know where this badge of honor came from. So I think that that idea of reading books and, you know, I mean, God, I think there's something out there that says anything you really need to learn, go to YouTube. <laughs> you can learn so many things. You don't need to spend 200000 on a degree. Go to YouTube. So, yes, you can do that. I think the key message, for the record, everybody knows, I mean, you and I have no business relationship with each other, right? So we can kind of like uh, call it as it is. I think that the most powerful part of your message, though, is that it's about being intentional. And I think a lot of people stopped that. Maybe they never started it, but, you know, it, it sort of, they ended up in this like rat race. They ended up where the tail's wagging the dog now. They're so busy with their practice or they didn't start the practice or whatever. Like everybody's got 87 excuses, you know, and I think the most powerful message, a part of the message here is, is that it's sort of about being intentional about what you want. Like, again, I'm probably stealing this concept from somebody and I don't recall where, but I sort of call it like designing your perfect Tuesday or pick your favorite day of the week, design your favorite Thursday, and then let's work backwards. What does that look like? Well, I don't know. I like to stand in the shower for an hour, <laughs> you know? So how do you build that life? I want to go have ice cream with my daughter every Wednesday. I want to take my boys to haircuts on Friday. So, and then you start to get intentional. And I'll just speak for myself. Like, I think I, I didn't really learn that stuff until my mid thirties because I grew up here in, in the, the DC area and you're supposed to have the Range Rover and you're supposed to have all this stuff. Never mind the fact you are supposed to have a lot of credit card debt that nobody talks about. <laughs> and other people are telling you what your design should look like. If you were this, you'd have this. And we become competitive in nature. And we're always like, let's see how the other people are living. But what you don't see is behind the scenes. You don't see the success that someone's having and the divorce that they're having on top of that or the relationships they don't have with their kids right? People portray this Facebook world, or I like to call it fake book. 
that just is bullshit. We all have shit. We all have issues. We all have that, but we stay in this superficial world. So, you know, I love what you're saying is, you know, I think it might be a book or show, whatever is life by design, right? You know, I think Stephen Covey said it best and said it's simple in his book, seven highly effective habits for highly effective people, whatever, seven habits, highly effective people. I believe it was number two, number three. And it said, begin with the end in mind. So powerful. Had no idea what it meant when I read it, you know, whatever, 15, 20 years ago. Now I use the damn line every two minutes because I ask a simple question when I talk to people and I say, what do you want? What does it look like? Tell me what's in your head. And they either don't know or haven't given themselves permission to actually share it. And I believe just from the conversations I've had over the years, they're afraid to be wrong if they don't get it. And I think, you know, I use the example of going on a trip. If I tell someone, hey, we're going on a trip, let's go. The first question you're going to ask is, where? Why is where so important? Why is that outcome, that destination so important? Because it helps you make decisions now. If I say we're going on a trip, but it's a one night to a bed and breakfast, I mean, that's different than saying we're going to go to Hawaii for a month, which one of my clients just did actually for two months. Because then you got to take care of the animals. You got to take care of this. You got to So where you're going helps you decide now. If you're confused now about what you should focus on, it's because you don't have a clear enough vision of where you're going. When you do, it allows you to make decisions now, which gives you focus and allows you to then take very intentional actions. Again, it ain't going to be perfect. It's not going to be a straight road down 95. There's going to be some twists and turns and getting off the side. Hey, that's part of the fun. That's part of the game. But at least, you know, if we're going to Florida, we know we're going south. If we say, I don't know where we're going, and then somehow you justify that you meant to be where you are. See, that's where I call bullshit. And that's why I love having conversations with so many owners out there and practice owners. So I'm like, is this the, the life? Is this what you really intended? And the ones that start to bullshit themselves and start to justify like this is okay. And it's not okay. Because you deserve better. Your family deserves better. Your staff here deserves better. And your patients deserve better. So the question is, are you willing to do what it takes to get there? Or do you still want to buy in the bullshit that you're holding on to that's keeping you small? Because that ain't helping anybody. I think that like uh, it's easy to sort of write these sort of conversations off because it's hard to talk about. It's hard to... I think it's like super fascinating. So like one other thing I'll just say about this is, is that it's so uniquely Western... Or I, I find this is a uniquely Western concept. I mean, I spent my life growing up half here in the D.C. area and half, you know, uh, going back to India and, and stuff like that. And it's interesting in the Eastern world, it's not taboo to talk about what you want. Uh, you know, it's not considered uh, offensive to say, I want something bigger. I want more. In fact, it's almost like a badge of honor. Like, wow, that guy's going to go do something or she's going to go. She's, she's ambitious. But somehow in the Western world, it's sort of frowned upon. I don't quite exactly know why, but it's always been one of those jarring things for me growing up around here. Like, well, why is that? We, so anyway, I think the other thing that we talked about, I thought was really fascinating was sort of, um, we started talking about the sort of the inconsistencies between the healthcare world, like what's considered badass in the healthcare world probably wouldn't even last an hour in the consumer world and vice versa. So, and you kind of alluded to this earlier, you know, you talked about page load speed, that attention span is like, you know, seven or nine seconds or something like that. I remember Amazon, like the amazon.com or whatever, they put out this article or this research a couple of years ago that for every second that their page took to load, the conversion rate dropped by 1%. So in other words, you know what I'm saying? So it's like a three-second page load uh, would result in a 1% lower conversion rate in terms of sales than a two-second page load. And so they invested millions of dollars to get that down to what it is today, which is milliseconds and stuff like that. But now that sort of thinking has permeated the consumer technology world for 20 years. You know, somebody listening to this right now is probably scrolling Facebook it always loads fast, you know, Twitter, whatever you use, like everything loads fast. Uh, Lord knows when you, you're at the supermarket and you check out, you just tap your card, you've checked out, it's fast. But a lot of that didn't make it to the healthcare world yet. And I'm still trying to figure out why, you know, it's, it's, it's still consumers and all that stuff. 
It's slow, man. It's a dinosaur, the healthcare world, which is why it's so darn expensive, yet so darn inefficient. See, this is the fascinating part to me, by the way, and, and, I, and you can totally refute this, but I think what's fascinating to me is, is that when you come into this industry, the first thing the technology people tell you in the healthcare world is how strict and stringent it is and how complicated it is and all that stuff. And at first I was like, oh yeah, I guess that makes sense. And then the more and more I spent time in this, I started to get more and more cynical. And I'm like, this is crazy. The consumer world has far more regulation. You know, like if we look at sort of what the standards are for HIPAA and PHI and all those things, it's like a cakewalk compared to what we have to do in the consumer world. <laughs> like it's crazy. And so I think it's really fascinating that, you know, you have these, so let's just kind of like build on this a little bit, because I think first off, if you can be intentional about what you want to build, that's the first step. So you want to build something and just see 50 patients a week. Cool. That's great. Like as long as you're being intentional about it, amazing. And on the, on the other extreme, if you want to like be a mini private equity fund and, and roll up 50 practices in Alabama, great. Like let's start with that intentionality because now we've got a goal and we can kind of build against it. Once you've decided that, I think the next part I think that's interesting that you and I talked about was sort of this, like, it's like, how do you get there? And I think a lot of people, a lot of these practitioners and, and practice owners, in my experience, either don't understand tech or don't want to understand tech or just look the other way. Like, I guess the point is the healthcare stack that's available to run a practice these days, like what is considered sophisticated in this industry is something that would never even fly for a minute in the... B2B or consumer world. And so what, ends, what I think ends up happening is, is clinic owners get taken advantage of, you know, and I, I don't want to like name names and, and uh, get hit with a lawsuit here. But look, I think there's a lot of firms out there that do marketing, do marketing, whatever that is. And they're happy to take five, $10,000 a month of your money, your hard earned money that you could have used to take your kids out to Cabo or something. And in the, in the, in the consumer world, we'd see through that in a millisecond. Well, it's easy to sell desperation, and there's a lot of people out there selling desperation. And I think one of the things you and I hit on together is the fact that when people are desperate, and there's a lot of desperation in the healthcare world, especially in the mom and pop Main Street world, the smaller businesses. And, you know, psychology, when you understand psychology, we're all very similar. Look, when you're in pain, if someone came to you with a solution, you will jump at it. You're in pain. You're in desperate mode. So how many practice owners are in pain in their businesses? They're working too many hours. They're not making enough money. Uh, they have difficulty hiring. And all of a sudden, this like, hey, get 30 patients in 30 seconds. All you got to do is this one thing. You will write a check for anything to get yourself out of pain until you're in even more pain later on when that little shiny object kind of wore off. And I learned that. I, I, I blew hundreds of thousands of, I didn't have hundreds of thousands, but hundreds of thousands when I was learning this idea of business. I was just a, a pretty good clinician. And the reason I was good because I took a lot of training and I practiced a lot, but I wasn't good in business. I had an ego that said I thought I was good in business, but I wasn't. And then I started learning about business and I realized, oh my God, it's like the Wild West out here. Everyone has a different philosophy. Everyone has this. And marketing was something I was like, you know, I'm not even sure what it was. And I think that there's always in any industry kind of your, I won't say unscrupulous because I don't think they intentionally are that, Paul. I, I just think it's more of, it's just easy to to jump in and get someone to sell you some stuff. And I just learned in my own journey that what people really want, I believe what people really want is practice freedom because practice freedom is the whole enchilada. It's not, I want more patience. I go, no, you don't. You want practice freedom. Having patience is a part of it, but you can't just say, well, I'm just going to solve this thing because this thing's going to have an effect over here. So then you're going to have to solve this and then you're going to solve this. But if you view it inside the forest, and not actually take that owner, that 30,000 uh, foot view and create a plan to address this, 
It's like whack-a-mole. You're like, oh, my God, I have a problem. Let me solve it. Throw money at it. Boom, whack. Oh, another problem. Whack. Oh, the original problem I had a year ago is coming back now because I really didn't solve the problem. I put a Band-Aid on a fracture. And I think that's where people are right now because of where technology is as far as in our world, you know, social media and all that. We can't handle it because to answer your question that you have, people can't handle the stuff. So they make irrational they make emotional, they make reactional decisions. And many times it's easier to write a check, even if you don't have the money, to try to solve a problem, even though you're not. And I think that's the part that really, why I do what I do and why I connect with other people that think alike, because it is a big issue, but it's solvable because there's so many darn people on this earth that need what we do. Yeah. You know, it's fake work. It's like, you know, uh, gosh, I think I need to get 30 more patients. Oh, there's an ad there for 30 patients in 10 seconds. Oh, I'll pay 197 for it, <laughs> you know? And it, it's a, sort of this fake work. At the end of the day, they go home, they feel good about it. And well, they purchase it and they get the dopamine hit like they did something, but they actually don't ever use it. Right, 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 right. I think, you know, it's interesting, the healthcare world these practice owners who, at least in my experience, they tend to, I mean, they usually 99.9% of the time are clinicians themselves, right? I guess they have to be. But I wish they would just at least consider copying, you know, some other industry's playbook. Because Lord knows whatever playbook most of them are using right now is not working. You know, uh, as an example, uh, and I'm saying this assertively, but I'm curious how you respond and you know, shoot me down here. You know, it's interesting, like, you talk to every PT owner and they will usually tell you how unique they are. There's something unique. They'll try to differentiate whether it's on their degree, you know, where, I, where they got it from or where they're located or whatever, whatever. There'll be some differentiation. But the truth is that like what they offer is a commodity or at least is perceived as a commodity. And I think, and so, you know, as an example, I think a lot about real estate agents Real estate agents, you know, learned a long time ago, I think, that what they do is perceived as a commodity, even if it may not be, it is perceived that way. And so the top of the top have invested quite a bit of their own, you know, money and profits into advertising and marketing. You know, it's, you, you drive down uh, through the streets of DC or Germantown or anywhere around you and me, every bus stop's got the face of some real estate agent, right? And, you know, there'll be a billboard or there'll be a paid ad or there's a magnet on your fridge or whatever. And they're not dumb. They understand that, you know, it's, uh, this is a customer acquisition play and there's a concept called mental availability. And when somebody wants to sell a house, the realtors that are in that mental selection set of who they're going to go to is going to get the business. And I think that's something that, you know, back to your, what you were talking about earlier about getting a patient and getting somebody in the door is so important. I think, I think if I was to add on to your message, I would say, I totally agree with your thought that we need to start from a, with an end in mind or a goal in mind, whether it's a lifestyle or whatever. But I think the second thing that's just as important is, is to embrace the marketing side of it. Like you have to understand that, you know, there's not just one PT clinic within a 30 mile radius, <laughs> you know? And so it's really like, if you're, if you're not willing to take that, like if you're not willing to define success, don't bother. Just you're better off employed somewhere else, do the nine to five, take your two weeks off, do whatever. But if you want to go bigger, whatever that is, do this. Then the second part is, if you're going to do this, embrace marketing, embrace sales, because that's what's going to determine whether you hit your lifestyle or not. Yeah. I hear what you're saying. And it's an old one for me and an old one in our profession. I mean, it's been around for a long time, this idea of, oh, I don't like marketing. I don't do marketing. And, you know, anyone ever says that to me, I call bullshit. You've been doing marketing and sales your whole life. I mean, as babies, we cry to get what we want. That's, you know, marketing and sales, crying, create awareness, and then getting what we want. Well, you close the deal. <laughs> you got the baby bottle. So, okay, that's what my kids are doing. I got it now. <laughs> Right. It's in us. It's a part of us. But when you start to associate certain marketing or certain sales with the old school used car salesman, my dad sold sometimes used cars. Now they call pre-owned cars because they realize used cars brought back these memories. So let's call them pre-owned and let's call them certified pre-owned. I mean, come on. So, you know, it's this idea that we have to be very careful of what's coming into our brain and is that information serving us? Because if you're like, well, I don't like every person that says I don't like marketing, they're broke. 
like there's a connection between, well, I don't like marketing. I don't like, so wait a minute, you want to help people, but you don't want to tell them that you exist. Well, I didn't say that. So they should just know you exist and they should know your degrees and they should know everything you treat. They should just know that because they have nothing else going on. Well, no, I should. So, I mean, I get into it with people because I'm trying to call them on their limiting beliefs, their bullshit stories. And once they realize, well, you're right. I mean, if I don't share with them what I know, so how do I do it? Well, there's a lot of ways to do how to do it. That's what social media is for. That's what email campaigns are for. That's what the billboard is for or commercial. It's for them to get familiar and to connect with you because we all do business with people we know. And we, of course, we have some affinity towards and that affinity towards trust. One of the things that we do, you know, there's lots of fancy marketing out there. I start with the basic marketing. We call it relationship marketing. And relationship marketing is all about directly outreaching to people, networking with people, influencers that have, or or people of influence that have influence over your audience, right? So you have to identify your audience and then you have to identify the people. Yes, doctors, but what specific doctors? And then you have to look at it from their perspective. You're a therapist. I know you think you're special to your point, but you are a commodity. I used to get angry over that. You told me that 10 years ago, 15 years ago. I'd be like, I'd be like, F you, Paul. I'm no freaking commodity. I worked hard. I'm better than everyone. I could do that. And you'd be like, uh-huh. But I don't know any of that. Physical therapy, I get confused between you and chiropractors, which would have pissed me off even more. Aren't you just a personal trainer? What? Don't you just stretch people? But this is the perception that's out there. It doesn't mean it's right or wrong. It's just the perception. So you can change the perception throughout the whole country. Let's leave that to the APTA. Are they doing a good job? I don't know. Maybe, maybe so. But I'm not going to let my livelihood rest on whether they do that or not. What I can control is the perception that my community has with me. And that's where then... Building relationships. So then people say, physical therapy, you got to see Jamie and his team. Or people say this, or people say that. And then, you know, you start to realize that it's just about helping people understand what problems that they have and the solution that you offer to get them what they want. It's a different way of looking at it. Nobody teaches that in school and all that. And yet we come out with very strong opinions around marketing or sales or whatever. There's four M's and there's four M's only in our business. There's marketing, there's management, there's money, and there's mindset. And mindset, is, it trumps them all because your mindset will dictate what you do within marketing and management and operations and financials and all that stuff. So if you're going to take the step of being a business owner, then step your game up. Don't just sign a piece of paper that you're an LLC. Step your freaking game up. Now, if you just want to be a one-horse person that has a job, but you call yourself a solopreneur or whatever, that's fine. If that's what you want to be, that's fine. But when you start stepping the game up, then start doing what you did in school. You invested. You sacrificed. You learned. You applied. And you were successful. And yet, you do none of that in your business. You don't respect your business. And I got a problem with that because then other people start to look at you and start to define who we are based on what they see you because you're not respecting the business. You're not respecting this craft. And that freaking pisses me off. One of the strong reasons why I do what I do. I think it's necessary. I think that the enemy of the practice owner is not the other practice owner. (laughs) The enemy of the practice owner is sort of their own mindset. And I I know this sounds so hand wavy, but like the best way I can kind of talk about this is, uh, so I'm a runner, you know, I like to run. And one of the stories I like to tell is this thing that, and don't crucify me on the exact dates here, but for most of human history, we thought that if a human being ran faster than five minutes per mile, that they surely would die. (laughs) Like surely that would be a bad thing. Well, lo and behold, somebody does that like a hundred years ago, right? Well, then all of a sudden, Oh, surely if they go four minutes a mile, they'll die. Okay, well, there you go. A couple of years later, somebody does it. Now, surely if you break three minutes, 30 seconds, you will die. Well, here we are. We're like right up on that. And when you actually like plot this out over time, 
you know, if it took 3,000 years of recorded history to hit the five-minute mile and then we broke the four-minute mile 50 years ago or something like that, like, you know, and now all of a sudden, less than 50 years later, we're, we're knocking it down. The question I like to ask people when we talk about this is like, what changed? Because human evolution didn't change drastically in the course of the last hundred years. What changed? Just to cut, cut to the chase, what changed is that media became more ubiquitous. Meaning, you know, a hundred years ago, if you read in the newspaper, because that was the primary news source, right? Newspaper. If you read in the newspaper that somebody on the other continent now ran a five minute mile, it just became in your mindset like, well, it's possible now. It's entered the realm of possibility. And then what's happened over the years is as media got to television and then radio and then to social media and all that, all that's happened is that the speed at which news travels is faster and faster. And I know it's so hand-wavy and people kind of scoff at me. I'm sure they've scoffed at you, but mindset determines where you end up. It sets the trajectory of everything, you know? And I think that like, that's the thing is like people started breaking running records when they believed it was possible. And it's so hand-wavy. And I admit it's so subjective and abstract that people are like, what in the hell does that even mean? Like, I'm supposed to write a business plan. You're like, uh, that's not how this works. <laughs> you know, like, I think that one of the other main competitors to PTs these days, probably going to piss some people off, is YouTube. Like, you know, some practice owners are like, well, if I just get credentialed with Medicare or whatever, like, if I just get that, then I'll get all these people, da, da, da. Maybe that's correct for today. But what are you doing about tomorrow or next year? Yeah. The biggest danger we have in, in our profession is technology, right? Technology, you know, you would never thought tore down Kodak, tore down Barnes & Noble, tore down the taxi industry. Technology did it. People didn't see it coming, although it was coming for a long time. And they had the ability to do something about it. They chose not to do about it. And healthcare is on that same trajectory, I agree with you. The person down the street, another mom and pop, yes, you need to have your unique selling proposition. You have to know why you stand down the market and all that stuff. However, they're not going to shut you down. Uh, frankly, I don't think the hospital system is going to shut you down, although people are adamant about that that I talk to. Oh, my God, the hospitals are everywhere. I go, the hospital's going after a different clientele. The problem is you don't know where your niche is. That's the problem. You don't know how you can say, hey, if you want this, go to the hospital. But if you want this, you come to us. The real problem is the person that knows nothing about healthcare that says, ooh, here's an opportunity. We're going to create an app. We're going to use AI. We're going to use all the information that's out there. And we're going to just take just a small percentage of people that maybe go to the doctor or go to the therapist or something. Just a small percentage. So you might not even realize it's being taken away, but they just took your profit margin away. Now you're working even harder to make the same, but you have no idea. So you're blaming Medicare or you're blaming the hospital system, which what you didn't realize is a stupid little app out there that's able to self-diagnose your back problem to say, well, try this. Like everyone has those little guns. Those guns have been around. And look, as a therapist, I can tell you that shit doesn't do anything. But guess what? They sold millions of those guns. Millions of those guns. I play basketball. Every one of the person I play basketball uses it. And whether it's a damn placebo or not, or just blood flow going to an arrow and numbing it for a minute, I don't know. Is it fixing the problem? Ask any physical therapist or doctor. They'll say, no, it doesn't matter, though. That gun took away patience. It took away patience. Just like Icy Hot did. You put Shaq on Icy Hot, it's taken away patience because it's faster, it's easier, and it's cheaper. So that's the danger that we have, I think, more, which we have to arm ourselves and educate ourselves, which means you got to get your head out of the damn clinic and actually see what's going on. That's what you have to do first. Once you see what's going on, you can see what's coming. If not, all of a sudden you're sitting there working, working. Wham! What the hell happened? Medicare just cut you 15%. What else happened? Oh, this rule just came. This thing just happened. And you're just reacting like a pinball. That's right. Yeah. I mean, I, we just saw the other day uh, a number of venture firms out in Silicon Valley seem to be pile driving money. 
into remote PT services, you know, and still really early to see what happens. But the point of all this is, though, is, is that, you know, I think more than ever, you got to stop being romantic about how you're going to make your money, stop being romantic about what success looks like. And when you reflect on that and you realize like, yeah, I want something more, or I want more freedom or whatever that is, I think then you got to get serious about like what the real enemy is. I think the real enemy is lack of awareness. People don't know you exist. It's, there's no moat. That's the other enemy. There's no moat, right? Some YouTube creator could create a whole bunch of like home exercise program content at some point. And if they understand search engine marketing better than you do, you know, lo and behold, they might actually funnel those leads somewhere else. And you get the point is, well, the world's changing really fast. And I think it's, uh, if you start with the mindset, though, you know, then you can at least be honest with yourself about what you really want. And if it is being that solo practitioner and you have zero intent to selling the business, that is absolutely cool. Just own it. But don't play this like busy work game, you know, uh, all that. We know we haven't talked about one word, which I think is probably the, the, the most important word that's in the minds of every single business owner out there. Uh, it's the word fear. And I think there's a tremendous amount of fear and worry in the industry amongst business owners and practice owners. And, you know, I always looked at fear as a negative, but fear can be a positive. Fear can get you to do something. Fear can get you to move towards something. I'm afraid not to have the money and provide for my family. So it'll get you to act, but fear can also to be a detractor. Fear can keep you paralyzed. And I think there's too many people that fear is keeping people just paralyzed where they are. You know, the thing I love about, I know we're talking a lot about the industry and a lot about the people in the industry and all that, but what I love about this industry and, and, and similar allied health industries is we're smart people. We have good hearts. We want to serve and help others. And yet we have this maybe lack of confidence, even though we're smart. Smart doesn't equal confidence. We have this lack of confidence that we can do this. We can actually get what we want when we first started this business and we had this ideal of what it would look like. And yet we've been jaded. We failed and we're not used to failing. We're not used to handling failure. And then we get fear and there's so much coming at us. We can't handle it all. So we just stay small and just stay working, just stay working and just stay working. And, you know, every client we've ever worked with that actually just had the courage to lean in has been successful as they define it. I hate when companies define success for people. I had a client yesterday that you know, said, well, Jamie, you know, what am I supposed to do? And I said, well, we're going to help you by asking you the questions to develop what you want. And we're going to help you provide proven principles to do it, not some color by number thing. And I think that one of the things that we have to do as quickly as possible is give our, give our clients confidence. Give them confidence. You can do this. And when they start to believe, to your point with the runners and the Roger Bannisters and all that, when they start to believe they can do this, initially they use our confidence. They use my confidence. Everyone that signs up for my program, they do it because I'm so confident in what they can achieve. I know that. And then when they see the results and they start to believe it and they start talking about it, all of a sudden trajectory of their business and their life starts to go up. But there's not enough people entering that. And just having that initial courage to take that one step, and it hurts. It hurts their families. And I know what it's like and all that. And they feel like they can't talk to anybody about it because everyone you know, around them looks like they have it figured out. And next thing you know, they get blindsided by some VC out in, the, <laughs> in Silicon Valley you know, with something. Or, or there's, a, there's a Medicare or insurance cut or whatever it is. Or, and, you know, it's... I guess what we're trying to do with this, even this conversation, is just bring awareness, right? Just bring awareness that here's what's going on. You're not alone. And there's, you can do something about it. Yeah, that's exactly right. I want to be respectful of your time here. I think that I don't want to give away the whole thing here, but you know, I think you and I have talked about some cool ideas that we're going to do over the next couple of weeks here. And I think that I think the story and the way you're talking about this is refreshing. And I think, and not that my opinion matters, but I just think that this is what more of the industry needs because right now the noise in the industry is really dominated by people that mean well, but are selling unscrupulous things to make 
practice owners feel like they're progressing and, you know, and so there's just a lot of bad behavior happening out there. And I think that it's important that people start to actually hear the message that really matters, you know, like you should be taking advice from people that are where you might want to be in the future, not uh, somebody that has 16 letters behind their name and can tell you to work harder because Lord knows you're already working hard. So I know I've gone a little over time here. Let's say people want to find you. How should people find you if they want to talk to you directly or learn more about what you guys do? Yeah, I mean, you can follow me on the social media channels uh, at Jamie Schreier. Um, you can go on to our website, practicefreedomu.com, you know, our YouTube channel, you know, again, Jamie Schreier. I mean, I put so much content out there, like I'm doing right now. This is the same stuff that I share with my clients. I mean, I got clients that, that pay me, that my personal clients that pay me $50,000 a year. That's a lot of money to a lot of people. Now that client has a chance to make, you know, tens of millions of dollars. But what I'm saying is people are paying so much for this, but I want to share this with people because it's all out there, right? Engage with this, start to listen. You tell me if I'm not making sense. I agree with you. I'm not talking about some $100, $97 quick little fix of this. I'm talking about improving your life. And when you improve your life, when you show up better, that will have influence over your staff. That will have influence over the patients that your staff treats. That will have influence over the community and the people you network with. It all centers around you. So selfishly, we have to get better. If not, we are doing a disservice to everyone around us. This is the message that I preach. And I agree with you. This message has to be more because there's too much quick, little, thick, shiny object bullshit that's out there. I'm not saying the stuff isn't good, and I'm not saying it can't help someone with that particular thing. Look, I believe in capitalism. I believe in, you know, people put something out there that's going to serve people. But I'm speaking to the people that are tired of that bullshit. I'm speaking to people that are struggling right now, that are looking for something real. You gotta wake up. Thanks for listening to another episode of Strata Stories. If you'd like to learn more about Strata and achieving a 99.99% reimbursement rate for your OT or PT practice, head over to stratapt.com or email us at hello at stratapt.com.